Well, good to see you, people of God. It is so good to be together. I've been doing this 39 years. I've been a Christian all my life, gathering in God's house with God's people for worship. Just does not get old to me. Uh, worship team, great job this morning. Can you all give it up for our worship team? Man. The Lord is here and his spirit is moving among us. Two quick things uh, for you. First of all, uh, the book that I've been talking about the last month or so, my book is coming out in two days, um, All Flame. So thanks for the support. That really genuinely, genuinely that has meant a lot to us. Um, on release day, if you don't mind, posting a little thing about it on social media. If you haven't yet, write a little Amazon review, all those things. Really, it's not for me. You're doing it to help spread the word about the book. I think the message of it is going to help a lot of people. I think it's particularly going to help um, people whose faith is just kind of hanging on by a thread. Um, and there are a lot of people like that. So uh, you hashtagging All Flame or All Flame book, tagging me in it, whatever, that just helps spread the word a little bit. So on Tuesday, help me out in that regard. Second thing I need to say to you is we're still looking for group leaders. We want to wa launch a new round of groups this fall. So just spaces for people to come, share a meal together, share some scripture together, be prayed for and blessed space to taste and see that the Lord is good in community. So if that's you, if you've got some experience leading groups, we want to talk to you. So just email me or email Pastor Colin and we'll get you all set up with that. With that, let's stand to our feet one more time. This is like exercise, you know, it's calisthenics. It's 1130. The football season is starting today. I think my Packers are a half an hour into the game. Go Packers. Um, what, did that come up? Freudian slip. Forget about that. We're going to declare our faith this morning. The ancient words of the Nicene Creed set the agenda for how we think about God and how we think about the world that we live in. And so let's take this creed on our lips, say it with strength this morning, church. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is, seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father. God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. And his kingdom will have no end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshipped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy, universal, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Holy God, we praise you. Holy God, we acclaim you. Holy God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, holy and strong, holy and immortal, hear our prayer this morning. We need you. We live in a world that's tearing itself to pieces, and we don't often know exactly how to live, exactly how to be, exactly what to do, but you do. You can speak to us, and you are speaking to us. 
So we pray that this morning, the voice of the living God, that is the living Lord Jesus, that that voice would, as Hebrews says, that it would penetrate to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, that it would judge the thoughts and the attitudes of our heart. We pray that we would be uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of the one to whom we must give account. Grant it, we're praying. Jesus, you are the great shepherd of your sheep. We pray that you'd be with us this morning. You are the great teacher. We pray that you'd be with us this morning to gather up the sheep in your arms, to teach and instruct us, to bless us, and to send us out strong again. So grant that we're asking. May the words of the preacher's mouth and the meditation of the hearer's hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, you may be seated. Revelation 6. I watched, John says, as the Lamb opened the first of the seven seals. And then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a voice like thunder, Come. And I looked, and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow, and he was given a crown, and he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. When the Lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. Then another horse came out, a fiery red one. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make people kill each other. And to him was given a large sword. And when the Lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. And I looked, and there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying, Two pounds of wheat for a day's wages, six pounds of barley for a day's wages, and don't damage the oil and the wine. When the Lamb opened the fourth seal... I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. And I looked, and there before me was a pale horse, and its rider was named Death, and Hades, or Hell, was following close behind him. And they were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine, or plague, and by wild beasts of the earth. And when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony that they had maintained. And they were calling out in a loud voice, How long, Sovereign Lord? Holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood. And then each of them was given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little longer until the full number of their fellow servants, their brothers and sisters, were killed just as they had been. And I watched as he opened the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair. The whole moon turned blood red. The stars in the sky fell to the earth as figs dropped from a fig tree when shaken by a strong wind. The heavens receded like a scroll being rolled up. Every mountain and island was removed from its place. And then the kings of the earth and the princes and the generals and the rich and the mighty and everyone else, both slave and free, hid in caves and among rocks of the mountains. And they called to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us, they said, and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can withstand it, brothers and sisters? This is the word of the Lord, and all God's people said... Well, that was kind of dark. It's been a decent journey, I think, through the book of Revelation so far. You know, Revelation chapter 1, it's the unveiling of Jesus Christ. Jesus says to John, don't be afraid. I'm the first, I'm the last, I'm the living one. Gives him messages to pass on to the churches. John takes the messages to the churches. And where they're faithful, he encourages them. Where they're faltering, he also calls them back into faithfulness. And so we were with the churches for a little bit. And then in Revelation 4, we saw 
the one, the Ancient of Days, seated on the throne, the four living creatures and the 24 elders, all gathered around him, worshiping. And in Revelation 5, we saw that there was a scroll in the right hand of the one who sat upon the throne. And that scroll seems to represent something of the meaning of human history. And a voice said, who can open the scroll? And nobody was found who was worthy to open the scroll. But then, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, he triumphed and he came and he took the scroll. And what John saw when he saw the lamb approaching the throne is he saw a lamb, right? And all of a sudden, now it's not just the four living creatures and the 24 elders, but it's actually the whole heavens and the earth and all that is in them. They fall down before the lamb and they sing praises to the lamb. Salvation and honor and glory and power be to our God who sits upon the throne and to the lamb. It's like this epic thing. And what you want at that point is you want the credits to start rolling. You know, and they all lived happily ever after. And it was wonderful and everything was good. But there's still the scroll. You still have to open the scroll. And when they start opening the scroll, the lamb peels these seals off of the scroll. And with each seal that's peeled back of the scroll, all of a sudden what you see is massive devastation on planet Earth. You see that the first rider comes out and he's sitting on the horse and it's a white horse and he is given a crown and he's got a bow and he's out as a conqueror bent on conquest. And then after him, you see another horse coming out, a fiery red one. And the rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make people kill each other. So followed by domination, you have violence. Then you have the third living creature and the third horse. And it's a black horse. And it seems to be some kind of economic injustice is going on here. Two pounds of wheat for a day's wages. Two pounds of wheat is about enough, maybe, to feed a family. And so you work all day, you slave all day to try to earn a living wage. And all you can do is barely feed your family. What we're dealing with here, brothers and sisters, is economic injustice. And the fourth seal is broken. And the fourth living creature says, come. And a pale horse comes out. And it says that his, the rider was named Death and hell was following close behind him. All of a sudden there's more devastation and famine. The sixth seal is open. And there's a great earthquake and the sun is turned black like sackcloth and the moon turns blood red and the stars in the sky fall from the earth as figs and the heavens recede like a scroll being rolled up and every mountain and island is removed from its place. It's chaos on planet earth. And I want to suggest to you this morning that this chaos that we're seeing in Revelation chapter 6 is not something that takes place at the end of history. What Jesus is showing to John here in the breaking of the seals of the scroll is Jesus is showing John not what's taking place at the end of history, but what has been taking place over the course of our history. Are you with me, brothers and sisters? Now, this just is the story of life on planet Earth. God made human beings to live in communion with himself and communion with one another and communion with the creation. He set before them life and death, blessing and cursing, the tree of life in the middle of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he said to them that if you just eat this one command, <laughs> one command, just avoid the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And really, you don't even have to avoid it. If you want to, you can build a tree house in it. You can play in it. You can frolic around it. You can do anything that you just don't eat from the fruit of that tree. For in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. 
To step out of the will of God is to step into death. And as we know, the first pair stepped out of the will of God. And from the very beginning, that stepping outside of the will of God warped their relationships. It warped their relationship with God. It wrecked their relationships with one another. And it wrecked their relationship with the creation. The most immediate impact of the fall of man in Genesis chapter 3 is Genesis chapter 4. Do you remember what happened in Genesis chapter 4? One brother rose up against another brother to kill him. And a whole history of domination and exploitation and violence and chaos resulted. Brothers and sisters, what happens when we step outside of the will of God is all of a sudden our history starts spinning into chaos. The ground is cursed. It doesn't yield fruit the way that it was supposed to. Our relationships with one another are all of a sudden thwarted where instead of seeing one another as persons created in the image of God into which God is calling us into communion with one another, what we do is we see each other as competitors. It's scarce resources. And if you get this much, then that means that I don't get very much. And so I have to try to take what's yours and conquer you. I'm telling you guys, that's the history that we're living in. The riders on the horses, they're not those that are coming at the end of history. They're those that have been trampling our history since the beginning of time. This is the time that we live in. It's a time when one group seeks to dominate another group. And the practical result of that is violence. It's a time when because of that violence, resources seem to be scarce. Two pounds of wheat for a day's wages, six pounds of barley for a day's wages. But hey, by the way, don't damage the oil and the wine. Well, what is that? That's feeding those on the underside of power with barely enough to get by. Meanwhile, the rich are getting richer and richer and richer. So while you're giving out the wheat and while you're giving the barley, hey, don't mess up our oil and our wine. Guys, we know this history, don't we? We know what it's done to planet Earth. We know about famine. We know about plague. We know about the creation spinning out of control. The sad consequence of human beings not walking in the will of God is that creation has gone berserk. Jeremiah put it so well in Jeremiah chapter 4 and verse 22. The Lord says, my people are fools. They don't know me. They're senseless children. They have no understanding. They're skilled in doing evil. They don't know how to do good. What's he saying? He's saying they've rejected my ways. Now watch what happens. Jeremiah says, I looked at the earth and it was what? Formless and empty. Formless and empty. You remember the first chapter of Genesis? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was formless and empty. It's formless and void. It's the same Hebrew words that's used here. The earth was formless and empty and darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters and God said, let there be, and there was. What God does to the chaos is he speaks into it. He makes it so that creation isn't a terrifying wasteland. He makes it so that creation is a place of abundance and a place of flourishing. And he plants human beings in the middle of that flourishing and abundance and he says to them, if you'll just walk in my ways, this will all continue for you. Everything will work exactly the way that it's supposed to work. And when human beings don't, what Jeremiah knows is that the earth, what? All of a sudden it starts devolving. It goes back into formlessness and emptiness. I looked at the heavens, Jeremiah says, and their light was gone. That's Genesis 1 verse 3 in reverse. Guys, human beings, I don't know if you know this, 
Okay, human beings are the fulcrum of God's creation. He put us in his world to steward it, to take care of it. He put us in his world to reflect the divine image. He put us in his world to be those through whom his very life and blessing would come. When we step outside of that, do you know what happens? The creation goes off its axis. Everything is thwarted on planet Earth. Jeremiah says, I looked at the mountains and they were quaking. and All the hills were swaying. I looked and there were no people. Every bird in the sky had flown away. I looked and the fruitful land had become what? A desert. And all the towns lay in ruins before the Lord, before his fierce anger. Guys, what happens when we step outside of the will of God is that human life is degraded and creation is thrown off kilter. Are you with me this morning? And God doesn't even have to do anything to make that happen to us. These four horsemen that come out, these are the natural consequences of living against the will of God. Mostly what God does throughout human history is he restrains the consequences of our evil. He gives us more space and more time to repent. He holds back what is justly deserved to us for what we have done. He preserves us. But there are times that God goes, okay, if this is what you're going to do, if you're determined to live against me, if you're determined to live against my ways, then I'll take my hand off for a second and you'll feel the consequences of your choices. Guys, this isn't something that's happening at the end of history. It's something that's happening in the midst of our history. That the horsemen are trampling us and the seals are being broken. And we're seeing devastation everywhere. Why? Because we've rebelled against the living God. I want to suggest to you this morning that rebellion against God and mistreatment of people, particularly mistreatment of people, that those things go hand in hand. And they tear at the very fabric of our reality. Everything goes haywire when we stand against the living God. And we don't have to look hard to see it, do we? When you think about human history and how human history has unfolded, you see it everywhere. You think about the Assyrian Empire. We talked about that when we preached through the book of Jonah. The most brutal empire that the world had ever seen. They had perfected the art of state sanctioned violence and terrorism, all in the name of trying to get ahead, trying to dominate the first horsemen. We saw it in the Babylonian Empire, violence following upon violence. We saw it in Alexander the Great, who came stampeding across the ancient Mediterranean world, conquering. We saw it in the Roman Empire, crosses erected outside of the ancient cities as a way of saying, don't step out of line. This is how we maintain our peace, we saw it when the barbarian hordes came at the edges of the Roman Empire and laid waste it. We saw it with Genghis Khan. We've seen it in every age and every era. We saw it in World War I and we saw it in World War II. We see it all over the world. Guys, this isn't out there somewhere. It's right here and it's right now. It touches our lives now. The sad consequence of living against the will of God. And something about it ought to cut us to the quick. God to cut us to the heart when we realize how far we've wandered from God and what we're living in as a result. I remember earlier this year, we were in the midst of quarantine and I opened my computer one day and started scrolling through the news feed and all of a sudden I saw a name that I had not heard before, Ahmad Arbery. And I don't know what it was about that one, but that one got me. Watching that footage, watching that video, young man, early 20s, on a jog, and he's gunned down, killed brutally by two white people. 
And, he, and then his face, the pictures of his face, his beautiful face and his bright eyes. And that, just the whole thing. And I thought that, that family who will not be able to cherish that face in their midst any longer. And his friends and his community and his people not, not getting to enjoy the beautiful soul that he, what, what? And I fell on my face that morning and just started sobbing and wailing and crying out to God. And I remember I just, as I sat there in the presence of God, just thinking, how can this happen? How can this happen on God's good earth? I started going back, the history, the long and sad history of prejudice and racism in our country. And before that, slavery and the sadness of that. And all of a sudden, the question popped into my head, a question that's sad to say I had not asked until I was 38 years old. How is it? that there were slaves in the first place in our country. And you start going back into the history, and you know what it is? It's tribal warfare over in Africa. One group doing what? Doing exactly what Revelation 6 is talking about. Battling for what seemed to be scarce resources, dominating. Violence ensues. All of a sudden, one tribe conquers another, and now there are folks that are brought in as slaves into this tribe. And when the Europeans come down... With their guns and their gold, we sell people, human beings for that, over into this upstart country, the United States of America. Guys, guys, we're living in the midst of it right now. This isn't something happening at the end of history. It's happening in the middle of our history. This is our history. When the Me Too movement hit several years ago, followed by Church Too, that's what it is. It's domination and it's exploitation and it's mistreating other people. John says that he saw a fourth horseman and his name was death. And hell was following close behind him. What happens when we turn ourselves away from the living God is that the human life is degraded and life on planet earth, it's turned into a terror. It's turned into a nightmare. And do you know what the worst part of it is? The worst part of it is that we blame God for it just like they did in the garden. You remember when the Lord catches them red-handed. What does Eve say? Oh, the serpent that you put in the garden, Lord. What does Adam say? Oh, well, the woman you put here, Lord, you know, it was her fault. We start pointing the finger. And usually the finger pointing goes all the way back to God. Well, if you hadn't set things up like this, then it wouldn't be like this. You know, ultimately, you're the one to blame for all this terror. Look back down at verse 15. The scripture says that the kings of the earth and the princes and the generals, the rich, the mighty, and everyone else, both slave and free, they hid in caves among the rocks and the mountains, and they called to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from what? From the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come. And who can, what? Remember that in the Old Testament, the priests in Israel invoked the face of God as blessing over the Israelites. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. From the face, hide us from the face of him. From the face of him who is all grace and all goodness and all blessing and all love and all for usness. All the time, hide us from his face and from the face of the lamb. From the lamb who's seated on the throne. From the lamb who took upon himself the sins of the world, from the lamb who was murdered in our place, from the lamb who was punished for our transgressions, hide us from the face of him. The only way that we could ever say that is because we've imputed to God something that's going on inside of us. 
We walk in evil, and so we go, God is evil. We walk in unrighteousness, and so we go, well, God is unrighteousness. It's a God, our view of God is like a Rorschach test. You know what a Rorschach test is? The ink blot. You know? Put the ink on a piece of paper. Do that. Open it up. You look at it. And psychologists use this, or criminal justice people, you know, and you, what is it, what do you see there? You go, it looks like a butterfly, it looks like a horse, it looks like my angry Aunt Bertha, you know, and how you, right? But the Rorschach test doesn't really look like your angry Aunt Bertha, does it? It just so happens to look like that because of something that's going on inside of you. To the pure, all things are pure. To the vile and unbelieving, nothing is pure. They look at God and they call God evil. But God is not evil. God is not evil. For James says that every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast, thou forever will be. Our God is the same always. The worst part of what happens on planet earth is that the devastation that we, that we work with one another, that we create on planet earth, we impute to God. We impute to God. That's part of the power and the importance, guys, of being the people of God. That in the middle of all of this confusion that the world is standing in, doing all of these evil things and then blaming God for it, what the church does is the church stands up and bears witness to the truth. But, 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 no, God is not evil and God is not doing this, but God is good. You've done this, but you can stop. <laughs> but that's what the church is constantly saying to the world. Look down back, back down at chapter 6 and verse 9. John says that when he opened the fifth seal... I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony that they had maintained. In the midst of all of the violence and the tumult and the madness of history, there is a people bearing witness. They keep telling the truth about how human life is designed. They keep telling the truth about who God is. And they cried out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Then each of them was given, what does the scripture say? A white robe flagged that thought. And they were told to wait a little while longer until the full number of their fellow servants, their brothers and sisters, were killed just as they had been. Those that gave their lives for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus are given a white robe. Look down at chapter 7 and verse 9. John now is looking in eternity. And he says that after this I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. From every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne of God and before the Lamb. And they were wearing what? white robes, and they were holding palm branches in their hands. Verse 13, one of the elders asked me, these in white robes, who are they and where did they come from? I answered, sir, you know. And he said, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them what? White in the blood of the lamb. Now here's what I need to say to you, and you need to get this. The martyrs are not just a group within the church. The whole entire people of God is a martyr church. Those that give their lives in chapter 6, what are they given to wear? White robes. 
the great multitude of chapter 7, what are they given to wear? It's one group. It's one group. When Christ calls us to himself, what he calls us to is he calls us to stand on the frontier between light and darkness. He calls us to stand on the frontier between unrighteousness and righteousness. And when we stand at the frontier, you know what will often happen happen to us? We'll pay the price for it. We're called to live a different way. We're called to bear witness to a better kingdom. We're called to testify to the reality of a true humanness that's found in God. We're called to testify that our God is good and his love endures forever, that he's not evil and he's not out to whack people. He's trying to draw people into the everlasting kingdom. We're out to testify to that. And what will happen when we live that way is that we'll pay the price for it. Don't be surprised, Jesus said, if the world hates you. Why? Because they hated me first. And they hated my father before me. Brothers and sisters, you're called to live this way. And as you live this way, you're painting for the world a better, it's just a better vision of being human. I think about Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the great German pastor and theologian when the, during the rise of Nazism. And when, when, when Bonhoeffer started putting together what the Nazi propaganda and the Nazi machine was doing, he coined this great phrase. He started lifting his voice in resistance to that evil thing. And he said, and he's speaking to the church here, he said that he who does not cry out for the Jews cannot sing the Gregorian chants. In other words, don't take the worship of God on your lips unless you're willing also to lend your voice to those whose voice is being taken from them. This is your call to be a voice for the voiceless. This is your call to remind the world that it doesn't have to compete, but it can share. This is your call to help the world remember that in God's, as the old hymn goes, this is my father's world. There's enough to go around, which means that we don't have to hoard our resources over here in a pile and just give a pittance to the poor. We don't have to live that way. You're here on planet earth to remind the world of that. You're here on planet earth to remind the world that violence is never the way to the kingdom. That's why you're here. You're here to remind those who live on planet earth, you're here to remind them that natural disasters and famines and plagues, that they don't have the last word over our lives. But the last word belongs to Jesus Christ who's coming with his kingdom and that kingdom will have no end. And here and there, you're going to have to pay the price for it. But that's what we signed up for in our baptism. We said that our, we had died in, with Jesus Christ and our lives were hidden with Christ in God. This is what we've signed up for. Brothers and sisters, Christ Jesus calls you to a better way. He calls you to the white robes. He calls you to the word of God. He calls you to the testimony. And as you live in this, the world all of a sudden will see. It'll see. It'll see. Let's stand. Oh, we worship you. We worship you. We worship you. We pour out our hearts before you here this morning, Lord Jesus. And as we come to the table this morning, we want to come worthily. We want to come having examined ourselves. And the picture that John paints for us in Revelation 6 is of creation gone haywire, human life degraded. And it wasn't you doing that to us, it was us doing that to us. And as we stand before you this morning, God's people, 
we're mindful of the fact, Lord Jesus, that we all too often have been guilty of all of that. That we haven't worn the white robes, but we've worn the robes of the world. We've blended in. And too much of the evil that's happening in the world, we're responsible for that. And so here and now, we're coming back to you. And we're asking you to cleanse us and to make us clean. And we're also asking that you would strengthen in us the desire to be faithful, to speak the word of God and to be faithful to the testimony of Jesus Christ. And repentance is our pathway into that. And so this morning, we make these words our own words. And we say before you, Lord Jesus, the most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole hearts. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Brothers and sisters, the scripture declares to us that therefore now, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. To you this morning, I say your sins are forgiven. To you this morning, I say you are cleansed. To you this morning, I say that you're a new creation in Christ Jesus. If you can receive that, let's give God praise this morning and thanksgiving. We thank you for your reconciling work, that you bring us into your body, that you make us one with yourself, Lord Jesus. We thank you for it. We're going to sing this song of worship together, and then I'm going to lead us to the table in just a few minutes. Let's sing with strength here this morning.
us to recognize the presence of Jesus in the elements. I can't explain how he's here in this, but I know that he is. And when we come to the table and we hold bread and cup in our hands, we're summoned to behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And we're summoned also to put our trust in the one who makes our lives look like his. As we get tucked into his life, we look like him. That we're not taking advantage of others, but we're allowing ourselves to be disadvantaged for the sake of others. That we're not dominating others, but we'd rather be conquered by others than conquer somebody else. We come to take on his life. He needs his life like yeast into dough. And our life rises and becomes as he is. Guys, behold the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God. And so we recognize you, Lord Jesus, and we adore you. We pour out our worship and our praise upon you. Like Mary, we weep at your feet and we wipe your feet with our hair and we, we're so thankful. So we pray that this morning that as we take bread and cup upon our lips that you transform us, release us from every sin, release us from every fear, Release us from every bondage. Conquer every rebellion in us and make us look like you. We are what we eat. <laughs> make us like Jesus. And so the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, after he had given thanks, he took the bread and he broke it. Let's break it together. Listen to that. He broke it and he gave it to them. And he said, take this, all of you, and eat. This is my body it's broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread together. And in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, drink from this, all of you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for many for the remission of sins. Do it whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Brothers and sisters, the cup of the new covenant the cup of salvation. Let's take it together. And now one more time this morning, begin to pour out your heart to the Lord in thanksgiving. If you have your prayer language, you can pray out in thanksgiving. If you don't pray out in English, just begin to release your heart to the Lord. And we say, thank you, Jesus. And thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive blessing and honor and glory and power forever and ever, here and now, we yield our lives again to you. Oh, we pray that you would bless us and break us and pour us out for the life of the world. And may they see you through our lives. Grant that we're asking in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, lift up your hands now and receive this benediction as you go. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, grace, mercy, and peace be with you. You are loved in New Life East. Go Packers. We'll see you next Sunday.